This episode has references to and descriptions of nudity, pornography and sexual exploitation. Listener discretion is advised. While you expect that there are dark corners of the world or murky corners of the world which exist on online, but you don't expect it to be present where people, you know, sort of visit it on a day-to-day basis. What I found during the last six months is that a large percentage of these videos are mostly, you know, what the world calls revenge porn. So there may be someone who's maybe broken up with their partner and so on and so forth. And they upload these videos. It might have been recorded then consensually, but there's no way to verify that the partner also has agreed to sort of put these videos up on the websites. YouTube specifically. They said that they have removed over 94,000 channels and 2.5 million videos for violating child safety policies in the April-June period. Revenge porn is generally something that we associate with someone older. But when it comes to children, and by that I mean anyone under the age of 18, which is what a child is defined as in the legal sense in India, this gets a lot more serious because it doesn't remain revenge porn, but also becomes a case of CSAM or child sexual abuse material. If you're wondering what CSAM or child sexual abuse material really is, it's basically imagery or videos which show a person who's a child engaged in or is depicted as being engaged in explicit sexual activity. Now, sometimes CSAM is referred to as child pornography, but experts have asked to avoid using the term because it fails to describe the true nature of the material and undermines the seriousness of the abuse from the child's perspective. Also because child pornography implies consent and a child or individual below 18 years cannot legally give consent. Having said that, the term child pornography is still used in legislation in some countries, but for the purpose of this episode, we're going to use CSAM. Whether it's an intimate video that was sent by a starry-eyed 15-year-old to their partner or an eager-to-please 13-year-old who becomes the victim of a sextortion racket and shares photos of himself in the nude, or just a 16-year-old being directed to do certain sexually explicit acts while their partner films them, all of this content constitutes CSAM and can find its way to numerous channels that distribute it to thousands of viewers. This way, even a consensual recording could very easily turn non-consensual when it's mass-disseminated. Now, you may think I'm exaggerating here, and I wish I was, but there's no running away from just how dangerous and dark the online world we inhabit has become. So stay tuned as we make sense of the murky maze of child sexual abuse material or CSAM content that's readily available on platforms like Telegram, X, YouTube and the like. We dive deep into understanding what exactly constitutes such content. Is it only taken from pornographic sites or are videos of children who are too young to understand the consequences of their actions also floating around? When we say easily accessible, 
how easily accessible is it really? What do these platforms have to say? What is the government doing? And most importantly, what can you and me do to safeguard our children and loved ones? I ask all this and much more in today's episode where we put ET's Ashish Aryan and Ranga's Ashish Jaiman in the hot seat and got them to explain why CSAM content on these platforms is not child's play. It's Tuesday, October 17th. I'm your host Dia Rekhi and you are listening to ET Investigates. Escalating child sexual content accessibility in India only on the morning brief from the Economic Times. Just a few days ago, ED put out an explosive expose. The kind that shook not just the government but the rest of us out of our slumber. When you think of something like CSAM, you picture that it must exist in some dark corner of the internet inaccessible and only something that those who specifically seek this sort of content would come across but that couldn't be further from the reality as my colleague ashish aryan found in his 6 month long investigation into the matter i was lucky to have been privy to some of the happenings in his investigation in real time but i'd like for him to tell you about them himself Ashish what was the trigger for you to look into this sort of dark murky world of child sexual abuse material on different apps in India i mean did someone give you a tip off or did you come across something explicit which made you question where all of this was coming from or was the trigger something else so about 6 7 months ago like we were talking about child safety and generally safety over internet and the source said that you know why don't you look into csam and other sexual violence content that is you know prevalent over the indian internet so i thought while there could be such content present on the indian internet it would not at least my expectations were not that it would be so easily available where you key in a few words and you search for them and it's readily available for you to consume and while you expect that there are your know, dark corners of the world or murky corners of the world which exist on online but you don't expect it to be present where people you know sort of visit it on a day to day basis so that was the trigger of looking into what this world is where does it originate from who are the participants what do they do what do they share and so on and so forth a lot of small points here that i want you to elaborate on more firstly when you say that you know you can key in some words and it's very easily accessible and you know since it was a 6 month long investigation that we're talking about could you give our listeners an idea of just how easily accessible this is and in terms of you know what you saw on those groups i mean what is the magnitude of the problem that we're talking about really you know i try to look for the same keywords or the same uh, let's say content across platforms and what i found is that on telegram which you know has a sort of a notorious reputation anyway it was very easily available in the sense that i mean this could be trigger uh, for some of our listeners but if you just go and let's say type in the word rape there are numerous channels which offer you those photos videos and they are not even trying to you know sort of hide it it's very readily available they have named the channels as such 
they have said that these channels will give you those videos every day they'll be updated and there are thousands of such channels during my course of investigation i alone was able to join about 80 to 90 of such channels some of these channels have about 20000 subscribers that sort of gives you a low down on how wide and how bad the problem is that even if there are 20000 30000 subscribers you know there is no sort of limit or there is no sort of check on what these channels are named what these channels sort of disseminate across the indian internet and what is the content that they are sharing when you talk about these channels or these groups where this sort of content was readily available for users and subscribers or followers are these videos that are taken from say pornographic sites or is it all stuff that is non consensually shot and and then sent on these groups or is it a mix of both yeah so there it's a combination of both because there are channels which sort of share you know download these videos from legitimate pornographic websites and then they share you know by changing the caption so that there are no ipr copyright issues also but to a large extent what i found during the last 6 months is that a large percentage of these videos are mostly you know what the world calls revenge porn so there may be someone who's maybe broken up with their partner and so on and so forth and they upload these videos it might have been recorded then consensually but there's no way to verify that the partner also has agreed to sort of put these videos up on the uh, websites so you did see a lot of that kind of content as well when it comes to csam specifically what is the sort of content you saw when you really start investigating and when you really see these uh, videos these kids do not know you know that they are being recorded and even if they know it's most likely with a partner that's there own age and this could be you know uh, them being foolish and them not realizing that this is something problematic if this gets leaked on so on so forth but for anyone else to get a hold of those videos and then essentially ensuring that when it is disseminated hmm. we will put it up in a way that whoever the reader or the viewer or the listener is they will get to know and in in my investigation of of course it was mostly photos and videos and nothing else they will get to know that yes this is you know content which is below 18 and those uh, videos unfortunately had the most number of views or had the most number of shares and so on so forth this is 6 months that we're talking about it's a lot of time that you've spent on this story and this is not an easy story to do you know it can be very triggering for a lot of people and i'm sure there were times that you also saw stuff that you were really disturbed by but is there something in particular that really haunts you to this day like any instances or anything like that that you can share with our listeners so they get an idea of what really happens on these groups when it comes to such content you really don't expect you know you don't want to sort of see these content because it's not only very triggering it also puts you in a very conflicting state of mind because right these this is someone's kid i found at least two to three groups which do not share any videos but what they do is they share just photos and they say that these are all girls who are studying across you know schools they are in class 10th 11th or 12th my god so even if 
one goes to the cyber police and complains, you know, the question mark always comes back that why did you take this photo or why did you take this video and so on and so forth. Correct. So that's one aspect that, that still does not uh, sort of go out of uh, my mind and it still remains there. Ashish, you mentioned earlier that, you know, Telegram has been notorious for sort of being this place where content that is explicit maybe or something that is controversial is very easily accessible. And what is it that sets it apart from, say, a YouTube or X or Instagram and so on? You've mentioned that all the platforms sort of grapple with this issue and will continue to do so. But what is it specifically in your experience that makes Telegram the one that is being used so extensively for this? Is it a complete lack of any moderation there or is it the ease of access that it gives, you know, people because it's a messaging service or is it maybe the perceived anonymity that it provides? So they are, you're right. It's a combination of all the factors that uh, you just mentioned. So my investigations mostly focused on Telegram because of the ease of access that it provides to such content. And it's very jarring that it's very easily accessible. I mean, a 17-year-old kid could access it as easily as, a let's say, a 30-year-old man. So that is why I focused on Telegram because when it comes to the same content on, let's say, X or uh, YouTube or any other platforms of Meta, while there are actors which, you know, sort of continue to upload these videos, a difference that I saw is that these videos or these photos are taken down very swiftly within the, let's say, time frame of 24 to 72 hours because the crawlers that they have deployed continue to scan the uh, ecosystem and flag anything which they think is relevant and should be taken down. In the case of Telegram, unfortunately, this does not seem to apply and there are still channels and groups and etc. which continue sharing. One of the things that you mentioned in your story, which was really astonishing for me, was also how you had noticed that this sort of content was available in India, but in other geographies, it seemed to not really exist. And even if it did, it was taken down quite swiftly. So what I mean, why this distinction? So I had a chance to go to US and meet some of the journalists from other countries for one of these events. I asked them to look for this content on their platform as well or their Telegram channel as well. What I realized that if you have a number which is registered in India compared to, let's say, a number registered in the US or the UK or France or Germany, well, you could search for pornographic material because it's that readily available for everyone to consume. Right. There were almost no channels that were disseminating CSAM or what the world categorizes as revenge porn. Hmm. So over the course of two days, when we checked them again, because they were also surprised at how easily is it available. Over the course of next two days, 24 to 48 hours, the content was gone and there was a clear message saying that this channel was illegal and therefore we have taken it down. So that that was the surprising bit for me. But when I talked to experts and some of the people who work on CSAM, they said that despite the laws that we have around CSAM, we have one of the best laws preventing child abuse, which is POXO. Hmm. It's easier for perpetrators to do this on the Indian internet or uh, spread or widely disseminate because they 
eventual punishment that comes hmm. be it either under oxo or ipc is so delayed it does not remain a deterrent for these uh, people which is not the case in other countries if you are caught with csam or if you are caught with let's say revenge porn whatsoever there are very strong deterrents you know criminal deterrents also social deterrents you may not be allowed near a school you may not be allowed near a university and so on and so forth correct so those are the deterrents really which these experts said that help curb these social menaces that is from sort of like say for instance an offender's perspective right like that maybe our laws take a lot of time to get into action and so on but from a platform's perspective when you talk about this very jarring sort of distinction that you see in telegram's own approach to how it views csam in different countries or how it reacts to csam material in different countries what do you think is making them so lax in india is it the fact that they don't expect people to sort of uh, react at all or the government to swing into action which has not really been the case right we've seen that with your story the government in fact has sent them notices so what exactly do you think it is some of the experts that i talked to what they said is that it could be because you know these platforms do not have the right number of people who sort of use these tools to maybe scour the entire platform or sort of define very clearly policy wise that if we come across any such content we have to take it down no matter what for example one of the recent cases i think it was couple of years ago you know google barred parents google drive account they took down the google drive account because that parent had taken some photos of their kid to show to the doctor but because you know google couldn't really mm. sort of make that distinction between right yeah she chose to sort of err on the side of caution and take that uh, account down rather than you know being in a position because google executives at that time had said that we do not know what kind of a content that is so we would rather choose to raise some flag and make that as a rule rather than sort of expecting or rather than us not having that policy and being responsible for someone's harm the other reasons which again experts said and because they work very closely with csam we cannot identify them it could also be one of the reasons is that because there is so much competition that telegram faces from other bigger players they could mm. this could be one of their ways to sort of help the daily active users number keep very high or remain very high correct correct so but again that could be entirely speculation on these experts part also sure. but this is what they believe how did telegram respond when you reached out to them not just telegram but you had reached out to quite a few players how did they respond to you how did the government respond to you so we reached out to government first to seek their response on how does the government sort of permit such content to be freely available hmm. and we reached out to some of the senior officials in the it ministry who were you know equally shocked to learn or to realize that this is not something available on someone's phone but this is right. available across the platform and hmm. 
to sort of shake them out of their slumber because they believe that I was searching for it and therefore I was able to see. So I asked them that, give me your phone. I'll search it on your phone and you'll be able to see it as well. So that's mm. when they realized that this problem had sort of acquired a much more problematic status than was initially believed. So right. that's one. Second, as far as the platforms are concerned, let's say Telegram or YouTube or X. So you know that X responds with a standard busy now. Please check back. Yeah. Response. So that's not really a response. It's an upgrade from the poop emoji response, but that's not really a response. When it comes to Telegram or when it comes to YouTube, Telegram said that, you know, they take immediate action, stringent action, as is prescribed by the law of the land. And, you know, when any such child porn or CSAM or rape or gang rape videos are reported, they initiate prompt actions to remove the offending material. But what I realized or what came across to me and I verified with people is that such platforms always rely on people reporting it more than they rely on their own bots or their own AI algorithms to sort of clean this up automatically. But when it comes to YouTube specifically, they said that they have removed over 94,000 channels and 2.5 million videos for violating child safety policies in the April-June period. So you can, mm. you know, sort of make sense of how big the problem is that despite right. YouTube having all these exceptionally well-built APIs, which other companies across the world also sort of use and deploy, they still have to sort of removing 90,000 channels in a period of three months. And there are over 2.5 million videos. So the problem is exceptionally huge. And this will continue to be unless two things, which I believe and which ministry officials also told me, is that unless, you know, there are social implications also to hosting mm. or to storing such content. And the second part is that the law should be swifter in punishing these people. When it comes to the government's response, through your story, I read that the government is sort of threatened to completely block these platforms if they don't comply with their, uh, you know, orders in this matter. But when it comes to Telegram, do you see that as a risk they're likely to take? Because India is their largest market, if I'm not mistaken. And by your own admission, you just checked recently and those... Uh, groups who are still very much active. So how do you see this panning out really? You know, they are very serious about this issue and they have issued notices, a copy of which we have seen. And we've also seen a copy of the responses that these platforms sent back. What is a realistically plausible response? Is that, and that the MOSIT also told us that if these platforms do not mend their ways, what we will do is we will, under Rule 7 of the IT Rules 2021, their immunity goes away. Their immunity that they have been granted from third-party content, which falls under Section 79 of the IT Act of 2000, that goes away. So any person who is then aggrieved due to the CSAB, they can go and approach the court and say that, look, hold the platform directly liable for such content because the platform will not act or because the platform will not sort of identify that these people are responsible for disseminating such content. 
once that happens, then the government is well within its rights hmm. to sort of block these platforms for further operating in India till the case is decided. Anything else, Ashish, something that you would like to highlight for our listeners? One aspect, Bia, I think, which we should talk about is that where are these videos and photos hosted? Because what these Telegram channels or what these any other channels do is hmm. that all the people who run these channels, they do not send out these videos and photos. Instead, they send out links to these videos and photos. And these videos and photos are you know, mostly stored on servers which do not operate out of India. But because the internet is such a place where there they cannot be physical boundaries. So, for hmm. example, what I found is that most of these objectionable photos and videos, they are stored on something called Terabyte, which is a cloud solution platform. It gives you around 1000 GB absolutely free of cost. My God. And hmm. it also tells you that your content is end-to-end encrypted, which means that no matter what, a law enforcement agency, unless they come to you specifically, no one else will be able to know what are you storing on those, you know, cloud solutions. You know, platforms, let's say, uh, RB Disk, Terabyte, VideoHoot, Cooklink, none of these, you know, have so far been taken down or and all of these allow huge amounts of you know, data to be stored without any checks and balances. Something that I'd like to clarify is that the kind of content that involves children under the age of 12 was not something that was easily accessible on these platforms. Sure, there was a picture here and there, but most of it involved children who were age 13 and above. Experts ED spoke to said that this is mainly because content involving children below the age of 12 was disseminated through highly specialized private channels, some of it paid, and being something that exists on alternate networks. Further, many of these people who wish to access such content end up doing it through more old-school means like sending pen drives through courier services and so on. But moving on from E.T.'s story to the larger picture, I got Ashish Jaiman of Ranga, who is an online child safety expert, to talk about the rise of such content across platforms, as well as how India fares in comparison to other countries when it comes to CSAM policies and their execution. Further, he talks about what the challenges are with regulating such content as well as what parents and family members must do in order to make the online world a safe space for our children. Ashish, you know, you're someone who's been working in this space, so I'm guessing you weren't really very taken aback by what you saw in E.T.'s articles. But I'd like you to explain the magnitude of the problem that we're dealing with at the moment. I mean, when we say CSAM is easily accessible on apps and on the internet, how accessible is it really? It's definitely on the rise. So let me actually give you some data. And for the last five years or so, we have had almost like 300 plus percent increase in the CSAM. And CSAM is, is uh, child sexual and abuse material on the internet. So in just last five years, you've seen almost, as I said, 300 
30-ish percent increase, but in last two years only, 82% increase in the reports. So just the reports that are submitted to NCMEC, so National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, that has grown 82% itself. And one of the other things that we are seeing also is during pandemic, in India itself, there was a rise of almost 400% in child abuse and exploitation. And out of that 400%, 90% was CSAM. So this is a phenomenon across the globe that we are seeing. But what we are also seeing in India is out of that percent I was talking about globally, 11.7% of the reports are coming from India. Meaning, yes, we have a larger population, but we are also, there's a lot more going on in India and the reports. I'm just talking about the reports. We are not talking about the unreported content out there. You know, Ashish, Everyone's talking about AI and how it's being used so effectively and people are finding new ways of using it. Is it not feasible for these platforms to use AI to pick up such content that is objectionable without any human intervention? And also, how is this content really thriving on platforms despite the AI intervention and despite these cleanup bots as they're called? So they are doing it, by the way, right? So Everyone actually, and if you think about the big ones, right? So you talk about Microsoft, Google, Facebook, Amazon, like the big ones who have a lot of stake on the line actually have been using AI and technology to identify CSAM kind of content. Now, the other challenge is that AI itself is not 100% guaranteed. We talk about AI in those terms like, hey, AI actually can solve all the world's problem, but that's not the case, Right. So what these companies are also doing is what they call moderation, human moderation. So you actually use AI to identify a piece of content to be harmful, in this case, CSAM. And then if you find something which is on the borderline, they have people. So they have a pipeline where it goes to people and then people can say, okay, this is bad and this is not bad. And then it flows. So most of these companies are using AI plus HI, human intelligence. So Ashish, can you explain a little bit about the cycle in the sense that, you know, from the point that the AI should be able to identify such objectionable content on the platform and give us details about how long this should ideally be? What is the cycle for that content to be taken down? Should it be taken down immediately or should there be a bit of a wait period? What should the cycle be like, basically? What happens is this content, the way it is served across the globe is not just like all the content sitting on one server, but it's not sitting on one server. It's actually distributed on many servers across the globe. So the cycle is not as simple as we may think because there's no one gate here. And then that's another thing. The other thing, which is even more important, is... Facebook, let's say, Meta has a gate. Twitter has a different gate. Google has a different gate. And YouTube has a different gate. Snapchat has a different gate, right? So the the material actually flows through all those gates. So everyone also has to do the same steps again and again. So it's a bit complicated from a technology perspective. Now, I was talking about one of the technologies that it's it's actually a cross-industry collaboration. One of the technologies hash every image. If they identify a CSAM, So they're not just removing it. What they're also doing is you take a hash, meaning, you know, fingerprint of that image and then give it access to everyone. And so let's say 
metafiles and CSAM image, they remove it. They also take a, a fingerprint of that image and then share it across industry so that in, in the industry, if other tool actually says, hey, the similar fingerprint, I saw something on my platform as well. I can remove it without even, even making a second guess. So, so that is what goes on on that front as well. Ashish, I know you're someone who's deeply involved in the rage that is generative AI. So I had to ask if you can give us an idea of how you see generative AI impacting the dissemination of CSAM content on platforms like this going forward. There are a couple of things there. One is using AI to create that content like deepfakes kind of work, right? So AI can now enable the example that you gave, revenge porn, right? An unassuming person, their voice, their face, their actions can be now morphed and then can be used to exploit them, reputational harm to all kinds of mental harassment and whatnot. So that's one way where AI actually can exacerbate these issues. The other is AI generating an image from a Gen AI perspective, right? So an image which is like generated by AI, there's no real human being there, but still like there's no real kid, but the imagery could be CSAM. The challenge there is like right now across the globe, people are just figuring out what kind of AI policy for 100% generative content will be. And right now, everyone across the globe is just trying to figure out what the regulations for Gen AI should. So that's one challenge. And now the world is flat. I can generate like, a bad content from a jurisdiction that may not have any laws and then I can decimate it everywhere. Now, Ashish, I wanted to just get you to clarify that across the globe in terms of implementation of regulation and how easily accessible this information really is um, or rather this material really is, how does India rank? India actually is doing very well. They are 15th in the globe in terms of the policies and practices around CSAM, they actually, on a 2020 child safety index, they ranked nine in online safety for kids. India is, is moving the right direction because they recognize this. Now, accessibility from a regulation policy perspective is there. I think what is missing big time is awareness campaigns. Awareness from the policymakers, from the platforms, from the societal groups, that, hey, this is a real threat. This is the way, if you find yourself in that position of being threatened, this is how you actually go about this. These are the actions you should take. There should be a special cell in the enforcement agency that can take actions. So all that is required. But overall, you know, we're not like worse of the worst. We are actually pretty good if you look in from a global perspective. But the problem is we also rank second in the extent of cyber risk to kids globally. You don't have to be in your teens to remember what turning 13 or being sweet 16 was like. Apart from the changes in the way you looked, how you sounded and just generally the way you felt, there was a sense of wanting to discover and explore, a burning desire to rebel and who can forget the raging hormones? When I look back at my teens, it feels like an entirely different era. Smartphones were not really in the picture, those relics of landlines still existed, and while social media like Orkut and Facebook did come in eventually, 
there was a clear distinction between the offline and online persona. We made mistakes, did the silliest of things and stumbled many times. But what set that time apart was that we weren't documenting all of this on electronic devices. Today, everything is for the gram. People share the most intimate details of their lives online without flinching. And peer pressure, whether in 1963 or 2023, never goes out of style. So add the crazy expectation that social media puts on teens today and you have a ticking time bomb. First love feels the same regardless of which generation you belong to. The butterflies, the need for validation and most importantly, the trust you put in your crush or partner. The proliferation of revenge porn of teenagers is as scary as it is concerning. Equally frightening is the whole sextortion business that thrives on a society that is increasingly alienating people and leading to an epidemic of loneliness. Our need for attention, our desire to be loved, coupled with the want to be accepted, leads us to seek people who play up on these very aspects in the most sinister and slimy manner. There's no doubt that with generative AI, things are only set to get worse and despite the most sophisticated algorithms and tools, CSAM will continue to thrive on these platforms. But what we can do is hold these platforms accountable. Start by reporting things that you see that are objectionable or explicit. And parents and family members, please communicate openly with your children. Don't brush things under the carpet because as uncomfortable as it might feel, do it. Because if you don't, they're likely to find it elsewhere. In my time, it used to be friends. Today, it needn't necessarily be a trusted confidant in school, but rather an unknown stranger on the internet. Let's keep our children safe and give them the childhood they deserve. A big thanks to both our guests for all their insights. It's Tuesday, October 17th. I'm your host, Dia Reiki, and you were listening to ET Investigates, Escalating Child Sexual Content Accessibility in India, only on the morning brief from the Economic Times. It was produced by Sumit Pandey, sound designed by Indranil Bhattacharji, executive producers Anupriya Nair, Anirban Chaudhary and Arijit Parman. We hope you liked this episode. Do share and subscribe to the podcast. A new episode of the Morning Brief podcast drops every Tuesday, Thursday and Friday. It streams on Amazon Prime Music, Geo Savan, Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts. And of course, ET's very own audio platform, ET Play. Thank you and have a great week ahead.